Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. Hi, guys. Great to be with you. Oh, I've so, been so excited to be able to come and, and spend a little time with you. And, you know, um, when I was given the topic of where you guys as a family are journeying together, um, I was told, well, I want you to talk to them about a rule, rule of life. And, you know, when I first thought about rules of life, I thought, well, I've had some rules for life. And I thought I would just start there, give you a few rules for life. Never lick a steak knife. That's a good rule. Maybe you have some of these, right? Um, how about this one? Always remember a balanced diet is a muffin in each hand. That's, that's one of my favorite ones. Another rule, an opportunity always looks bigger going than coming. That's, that's very true. I've always thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that mountain, I'm gonna climb that 14er, and then you're like, that wasn't such a great idea. I probably need to get a little better shape before I tackle that one. Or a person who is nice to you, but rude to the waiter is not, probably not a nice person. It's just a good rule of thumb. And one of the ones that um, I've been told, I've never experienced this, but I do practice it, never under any circumstance Take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> that, that is a pretty straightforward rule. Um, I was enjoying the breakfast today, and uh, I had my banana. And uh, I love bananas because every time I've ever eaten a banana, it tasted like a banana. But I always have this fun little game that I play, like, I wonder if it's going to taste like chicken today. Because, you know, everything kind of tastes like chicken, you know? I've had some frog legs once, and they taste kind of like chicken. And I've also eaten some really crazy wild stuff um, that I thought, wow, I don't even know if that, that tastes like anything I've ever had before. Um, had the privilege of traveling now over, over my life to over 100 nations and uh, have tried all kinds of amazing, exciting things. But... It always comes back to banana. I remember the first time I went to India and I said, I'd love to have a banana. And they, they brought me like 20 different variations of banana. And I was like, I had no idea there was that many bananas, right? And they all, like one tasted like candy. I was like, it's amazing. But the cool thing about a banana is whenever you do have a banana is it, it does taste like a banana. Um, there's integrity in this, right? And, and I just thought as I was eating my banana in the other room today, I was thinking about the idea that, you know, when God makes us, he makes us with integrity. But how we live our lives can often spoil um, what's really going on inside of us. That there's, a, there's, a, there's this thing that when the world or others look at us is what they see and what they experience on the outside, does it have the integrity of what is on the inside? Is that clearly seen in our lives and how we live our lives? So um, 
the rule of life is really a practice. It's a practice and a rhythm for how we're going to live our lives. And you guys have been on this journey. I think last time uh, Dave spoke on fasting. And, uh, you know, how many of you guys know who John Mark Comer is? You guys ever read any of his books? Great. Um, one of his sayings is he says, the devil's primary strategy to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires which are normalized in a society. That's why forming a rule of life becomes so important is because our desires can often pull us in all kinds of directions and we lose the integrity of how God meant for us to live. And so committing our lives to a rhythm and a rule of how we show up every day can help to create a discipline, especially in a society that is at drift. And what I hope that you hear today as we dive into this idea of how does generosity and the way we live our, our lives generously with, with others, how that is such a powerful and profound faith-stirring, hope-building experience for our lives. And that God wants us to live with integrity when it comes to generosity. Um, and so today, that's what we're going to be talking about. I hope you're ready for that. Um, I heard Dave say this once, and I loved it, so I decided I would say it today just because it's good to be reminded. And that's the question, how do we change? How do we how do we become consistent with who God intended us to be and how we're to live our lives? And, well, I think, number one, we're changed, we're changed by our actions. What we do, and this is what Dave said, what we do does something to us. So consistently leaning in to a way of living does something to us. It, it, it starts to create patterns and ways of, of being consistent with our lives. And that consistency in line with God and his word and his promise to us begins to shape our lives and how we show up, right? So what we do does something to us. And for some reason, this hand is not working. I wonder if this hand works. It's not moving my, my thingy here anymore. Let's see if this does. There. <laughs> the touch of my finger is working again. The disciples built their, their life around the person of Jesus. And when we build our rhythm of life, um, what we're doing is we're beginning to shed our old self. We're, we're making decisions. We're prioritizing a way of living that sheds our old self. Now, let me just say it clear. When Jesus called his disciples to him, he said, come follow me. And I love that, just that simple expression of come follow me. Because what it says to me personally is, number one, I don't make me and neither do you. 
I've never seen a, success, a, a successful follower of Jesus that's made themselves. And the promise of the Father to us is that if you will come every day, that's where it starts, making a decision to come to him every day. And then he says, if you'll follow me. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, there's days when I don't feel like following. But I make a decision every day and I have a rule of how I live my life that every day I get up, I come to him, and I, I choose to follow his ways rather than my ways. So part of creating that rule of life is a conversation with the Father around the design for us that lines up with his desire of transforming our lives, changing us and shaping us into who God intended us to be. But his promise to you and I is that he will make you. And so the ultimately what a rule does is it should help you fall more desperately in love with God. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola says, I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. And that's what a rule of life does. It, it should lead us to a walk with God that leads us to a deeper, deeper life with God in us and shining out through us. So we have integrity with the way we live our lives. Amen. Well, this morning, um, let's see if this works here. Backwards, forwards, however we go. Generosity. The topic that I was given for today. Generosity is a sacrament. Just like this morning, we, we broke bread and drank from the cup as a sacrament, a way of remembering, a way of honoring. Every time you do something to honor you're remembering and honoring. And, and when we pass the grace that we've received onto another, it's a sacrament. So a sacrament is a practice that we commit to that invites us to participate in passing along the grace we've received. And so today, as you think about your own rule of life, I'd like for you to entertain the idea of making generosity, a way of living your life generously as a sacrament, as a holy gesture of passing along to others through the way you live your life generously before others as an act of passing along the grace of God in your life to others. So which comes first? Giving or receiving? When I ask that question, oftentimes what people will say to me is, well, you know, um, receiving, giving, no, giving, giving is it, yeah. And I'm like, no, that's not true. What comes first is receiving. Because you can't give if you've never received, right? And, and I don't know about you, but in the world that we live in, oftentimes, you know, it's kind of like, well, I can't ask for anything. Because I, I, I haven't earned the right to make the ask. And, and so we often will be more on our heels relationally instead of coming forward and offering or asking for help. Receiving always precedes giving. Always. And when extraordinary gifts of grace are given... They cannot be experienced unless they are received. 
if you know Jesus, if he's your best friend, then I'm going to say to you, you have, you have already received one of the most extraordinary gifts known to humans. And that grace that you've received, now you've received something that you can give. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of the works and all the good stuff that we're doing out there. Because if it was, we might boast in our ability to do stuff. But when it's true, we actually, what we have is because of the grace of God in our lives. When you're hosted by someone, like today, I'm being hosted. I arrived, I didn't have to worry about anything. I didn't have to think, oh, uh, well, I gotta make sure the chairs are in place. I gotta, I gotta do all this kind of stuff. It was all handled for me. I just showed up and started hanging out with everybody and had some great conversations with some of you. I wish I could have got around to everyone. But here's the thing, when you're hosted by someone who is generous, you don't ever have to worry about your needs. Now think about that for a minute. You can just literally enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. I give you that example because I want you to have this picture as we start today. This is a picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation, well, it's an expression of God's generous love. He's the host of the party. And we are the humans, the guests, in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going and to spread his goodness. Maybe, maybe today you need to be reminded, maybe, maybe the things of life have caused you to be a little more cynical. Maybe it's brought, there's been pain that's caused you to be a little less hope-filled. And today I want to remind you that the goodness of God, the provision of the Father, all of this in life was created to lavish His love and His posture of generosity towards us. And so, relax. Lean in to the generosity of the host who's invi invited you to a party. And it's kind of like sometimes we approach the party like, you know, we get invited and, uh, you know, there's a swimming pool and some guy's over here grilling out and we're all kind of, we're in our bathing suits, but we're like, is it okay to get in the water? You know, and, and we're just waiting for that one person to like jump in the pool and they're like, oh, I guess it's okay, we can get in the pool. And yet the pool's part of the party. It was a swim party, right? We were invited to come jump in the deep end and swim around and enjoy the day. The provision of God is, is unmatched. And it's a beautiful picture. But like I said, it's not the way we experience the world, is it? Rather, we find a world full of scarcity and struggle. And this, this is why we need a rule of life. 
to practice a way of living that changes our experience. What we do does something to us, right? So when you commit to a rule, you begin to create something that you're committed to doing so that it starts to change us, change our perspective, so that we no longer look around and go, man, everything is awful. Everything is, is, is full of scarcity. There's, I don't have what I need. Because that's not the context in which you've been invited into a party that the Father, the great God of Almighty, has created for you to experience. So Jesus would say stuff like this. You know, Matthew chapter 6, 26 through 34, Sermon on the Mount context, right? Jesus would say stuff like, this is Ken kind of simplifying it because of time. He might say something like this. Hey, everybody, look at those birds. They don't store up for themselves. Yet, they have enough. Or, hey, get this one. Consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful, aren't they? And abundant. And they don't stress about their existence, what they'll wear. Hey, and, and you shouldn't live that way also. Sounds kind of hippie-like, doesn't it? I love Jesus, man. <laughs> He's like painting this picture of like, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at their beauty and their abundance, and you shouldn't worry about anything. God's got this. God's got you. See the difference perspective that he has? Jesus' whole point is, if you make your own personal security the main focus of your life goal, you'll paradoxically find it'll actually ruin you. It'll destroy you because of anxiety. It produces such an anxiety that we were meant to live with. It produces this anxiety. And, and at the end of the day, you'll end up just dying and giving what you had to someone else and probably they'll waste it. So the whole point is this. If you're living by the Sermon on the Mount kind of life, right? What you're doing is you're investing in new creation. You're living in the present, but you're living as future people. You're living into new creation. And when you live in that way, you're creating realities that last long into the future. Listen, the world that we're living in was not God's intention. Eden. You were created for Eden. You were created to walk in the cool of the garden and experience the beauty of relationship with the Father and everything you ne needed was provided. And then, because of rebellion, because of sin, because of the choose, choice of allowing evil to transform our minds, anxiety was born into our lives and we started to live as if there wasn't enough. We couldn't trust. And God said, listen, now that this has happened, I've got to take you out of the garden 
But there's come in a garden. There's a new creation. And I'm inviting you to trust me. To trust me in such a way that you live your life with such hope and such confidence and such promise that no matter what's going on around you, your eyes are fixed on me because I am with you. And when, when we're together in this work, all things become renewed. That we have to live not like we've just been removed out of the garden, but that we're going to the garden. That's what I mean when I say you are future people. You live in the present, but you are future people. And you can't let the present shape and confuse the way you're supposed to be living your lives. There's something about the way of living which is the way of the kingdom where there's a different type of currency, a different type of of how we think about what is of value. For instance, if I love my neighbor as myself, that sound familiar? Read that once before? Okay. If I love my neighbor as myself, and if I choose to use some of my resources to help somebody who's going through a really, really hard time, the love and the generosity and now, the bond that we have, the bond of relationship, there's something there that's an investment. And an investment that lasts on into new creation. Not one that, depending upon how society's going, you lose a little bit this month in the stock, and then next month it's back up, or, it's, or maybe it just goes away altogether. An investment in relationship is a relationship, is an investment that lasts on into new creation. And in the Sermon on the Mount, healthy, whole relationship is one of the greatest values of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Not according to me. According to Jesus. So whenever you and I choose to come out of ourselves, come out of our scarcity mindset, to, to actually believe that I'm a future person living in the present, a sign to all who look at my life that the way I'm going to live is so generous that I'm going to invest in what lasts forever because it's the values of the kingdom of God, relationship. Generosity creates a bond. A bond between people that apparently are more, is more endearing than a good meal or the stock market, according to Jesus. And until we value the kingdom such that we begin to treat others according to Jesus' value system, we will live, friends, we will live with anxiety concerning our stewardship. So let's just pause there for a minute and just say, that's what I'm here to do today, is to help you walk into deeper stewardship 
without anxiety. So let's just take a deep breath here and go, no anxiety in the room. Okay? So Jesus apparently conceives of a universe that he's living into as a place that should be free from all anxiety. I want that. Yeah, that sound good to you guys? Come on, Jesus! Woohoo! Thank you for your provision. Sorry, I get a little excited. Especially when I talk about Jesus and his provision in our lives. So, Jesus' view, did I go backwards? Sorry. Oh, I got a little laser too. Look at that. There we go. So, Jesus' view of the world holds a claim that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Did you know that the way you live your life communicates like a banana? It communicates what you really, really believe. How you live your life, the rules that you commit to, the surrender that you give to Jesus to make you, will determine how you actually live your life. And it's our mindsets that inform our lifestyle that communicates, not sure that I really, really, really trust the host. Maybe, maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe there really isn't enough. Maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we've deceived ourselves into the mindset of scarcity, we can justify then the impulse to take care of me. So what, what does God do when he sees us acting this way? Well, Scripturally, God chose a people, the family of Abraham. And he promised them to give them the abundance that he wants for everyone else. And God will provide what they need. All that Abraham and his descendants would need is to trust in his generosity. And through them, the whole world would see how generous God would be. However... <laughs> As the story goes, Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, entered a land of abundance and they promptly <laughs> forgot that God who gave it to them was a God they could trust. God doesn't give up. This is the amazing thing. God doesn't give up. So what does he do? I tell you, what he does is absolutely shocking and surprising. He gives another gift. See, this is, this is what's so cool about God, is even when we get it wrong, he just keeps giving. 
He just keeps giving. That's, that's a good host. That even if you show up and you're a little like not quite doing it right, he just says, here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. So God does a surprising thing and he gives another gift. But this gift is different. What God gives is Jesus. So the host himself comes to the party. Jesus lives his entire life with a conviction that there is enough and that our generation can live generously and that the host can be trusted. And he wants us to demonstrate that in the way that we live. Jesus' modeling to us was a mindset of abundance. Allowing him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance. We are hopelessly deceived by this life that there's just not enough. I'll get this right one of these times. The biblical portrait of evil, because we've got to go back to there to understand how the scarcity thing played out. The biblical portrait of evil begins with an act of desiring and taking what is not rightfully ours to take. You can find the full story in Genesis 3, but let's look at just a few verses together. That demonstrates my point. Genesis 3, 4 through 5. Actually, no, Genesis 3, 1. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So the scene opens with a serpent subtly undermining God's generosity. You will not die, Genesis 3, 4 through 5, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent portrays God as holding out on humanity, withholding knowledge, withholding good things. And when the woman saw, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree held food that was good and that it was delightful to the eyes and that the tree was desirable. She wants to be made wise. She takes from its fruit and she eats and she gives also to her husband with her and he ate. The Bible, the biblical portrait of evil begins with an act of desire for what is not rightfully ours and taking it for ourselves. Now, let's just stop for a minute and let's think about what we possess. What, what do you have? Is it yours or is it God's? And your role is stewardship. So 
Let's go back to the biblical portrait of evil. An active desire for what is not rightfully ours and taking it for ourselves rather than offering it and stewarding in obedience to what God has instructed us to live our lives. In the story of the Old Testament, God continually combats the scarcity mindset through his generosity and his love towards humanity. The story culminates in Jesus. God himself comes to demonstrate abundant grace. Jesus' death was the ultimate demonstration and expression. The thing that brought, should bring hope to every human person living on this planet. His generosity towards humanity. It's a love that can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Jesus' followers, they knew have, they now have the opportunity basically to live a life of sharing with others and believing that there's enough. This is the purest expression, I believe, of our trust. I'm going to read to you from the passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. See, if you hear anything that I say, I want you to hear this today. It is possible to give without a deep understanding of God's grace. However, it is impossible to have a deep understanding of grace and not give. The very thought of all that has been provided to you and I by the host is what marks us as generous people. It's this grace, this sacrament of grace that we pass along through our generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, just real quick. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. We're going to highlight Macedonian church here. In the midst of every severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. <laughs> I love that, man. <laughs> I'm like, man, can you imagine? Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Come on. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, I love that, gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So, we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning 
at the beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on their part. But sincerely, they excelled in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. Now he's talking about the church at Corinth. You guys, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love. We have kindled in you, see that also you excel in the grace of giving. So Paul's basically kind of saying, you got all this other stuff going for you, but you, you, know, you, you haven't been generous in the way you give. So I, I want to lift up a model, this church over in Macedonia, who in spite of their extreme poverty, are living radically generous. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So what I'm showing you here in 2 Corinthians 8, this passage, it's really Paul is here raising money to give to the church in Jerusalem. There had been a famine, and uh, Paul is getting all the church plants, right, to give something, to give towards this work so that non-Jews, non-Jewish people, would raise money and give it as a gift to help Jerusalem. Paul says, listen, I want to make known to you the gift of God that's been given to the church in Macedonia. I'm telling you, beyond their ability, they gave of their own according to the money that they were able to put their hands on. In fact, they were begging us, Paul says. The Macedonians were saying, you guys, you know, you've given so much. You don't even have money and you're given like you're given like, you, like you're rich. And he says, in fact, they begged us, urged us, for the gift of participating in this act of giving to the saints in Jerusalem. In other words, in other words, the concept of generous gift is what the word grace means in the New Testament. When we understand the grace of God in our life, we understand the generosity of our host who's created all things for you. As sons and daughters, we're not like the eldest son who says, I've been slaving my entire life and you never killed a fatted calf and threw a party for me. You remember that story? Luke 15. He says, all things. The father said to this eldest son, I don't get it. Everything I have, it's yours. It's the same idea, but a different vocabulary as in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, he was in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider himself equality with God, something to be grabbed or to be taken or used for his own advantage. He saw his abundance as an opportunity to be generous. 
You're going to need to get somebody else to run these slides. <laughs> it's the same idea, different vocabulary, right? He saw his, his abundance as an opportunity, opportunity to be generous. And that's the family ethic that I want to introduce to you. The church is not a building. The church is not a meeting. The church is a family. And so as a family, we have to live by a certain ethic, a family ethic. The family ethic is to see your abundance as an opportunity to be generous to others. So in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it's that one-liner of Paul's. That one-liner that basically says, it captures for us today the essence of the story of Jesus through the language of gift-giving and generosity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So material generosity is the only reasonable response to the gift that has been given to us in the life of Jesus. If you aren't materially sharing with others, it shows there's a deep disconnect in how you think about the Christian faith. Which means, let's be honest, all of us have a deep disconnect with how we think about the Christian faith. Because who doesn't struggle with materialism? Ha ha. I got it right. The generous gift of Jesus shouldn't leave you going. Is there enough? I'm going to pause there for just a second and tell you a quick story. So my wife and I, we've been, we've lived by faith our whole life. Never really having much. I mean, we have much because we're a generous God. I've never been without. <laughs> but you never can anticipate what God can do. And so he asked us, would you move to Colorado six months ago? And so Lori and I, we prayed about it. And we felt like God said, yep. And we felt, yep, it's time to say yes to Jesus. So we started packing up our stuff, not knowing where we were going to live, how we were going to make it. We're just going to go in faith and trust God. And so I called up a friend who um, is a part of our, our group, our home church expression in Castle Rock. And I knew she was a realtor. And I said, hey, could you help me? Because I don't know anything about Castle Rock. I don't know where I'm going. Um, I, 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 would you show me around and kind of point out places? And I, I, we, my wife and I had resolved in our hearts that we were going to live on someone's couch for a while because we didn't have any savings. We didn't have, you know, we just, we were debt free, but we really didn't have a lot of extra at the moment. And so um, she said, sure. So about a week before I was to fly from Dallas, Texas to Colorado to go on this quick drive around, 
she, uh, she called me and said, Ken, I've had a really interesting thing happen. I said, oh, what, what was that? And she said, well, um, I was praying for you and your wife and your need for a home and all that. And as I was praying, I felt like God spoke to me. And he told me that I was to get in my car and drive down to my neighbor's house. And I was to ask my neighbor if he was supposed to be a part of helping you in your transition. I said, okay. And so she said, so I did. I got in my car. I drove down there and he was home. And so I walked up to him and I said, I know this is going to sound crazy and you don't even know who I'm going to be talking about, but there's this friend of mine that's moving here with his wife and they're going to be doing ministry and I'm trying to find them a place to live and a home and I just wondered, are you supposed to be a part of this? And he said, you know, it's really interesting. I was, I was just praying and I felt like the Lord said I was going to be given an opportunity. So he said, wait here for a minute. I'm supposed to be a part of this. So he goes into his house and he comes out with a check. And he hands her a check for $100,000. And he says, here, give that to him. That can help him with his down payment. Like, I don't know this guy. He's never met me. And now I'm $100,000 richer. We were able to get a home here in Colorado. You guys know how it costs around here. Um, a lot different than Dallas, I'll tell you that much. But all that to say is, you know what's shocking? I'm just going to confess something to you. So you get handed $100,000. And you know what one of the next thoughts was in my mind? Is this enough, Lord? How many times have we taken... Um, a look at all of God's generous gift and provision in our lives, and we still wondered, yeah, but it's not enough. The generous gift of Jesus giving his life for us should make us stand up and scream, it's enough! The generous gift of Jesus should do what Romans 8 said. If God wouldn't spare his own son, then why would he withhold from you anything you need? Basically, it's saying, hey, everybody, there's enough. There's more than enough. Being a follower of Jesus involves a lot of things, but one of them is trusting. Trusting in the life of Jesus that I've been given the ultimate gift. It includes that my own failures and sins have been, have been washed away according to his death on my behalf. And that the death that I've introduced into the world when we had to leave Eden through my selfishness, through my hoarding, and whatever sin that has been dealt with on that cross, but equally important to the story and to the gift is the resurrection and the dawn of a new creation that you and I are, are helping to build, to make new, to restore all things back to its original place because we're future people living in the present and we're living under the rule of God who says, I have it covered. 
I've already paid in advance for everything we're going to need to do this work. Equally important to the story and to the gift of that resurrection and the dawn of this new creation is the birth of the new creation where there is enough for me and for everybody. So the family ethic is one of abundance and generosity to everyone. There's something here too where the world of scarcity is invaded by the generous gift that begins to create an abundant Eden right here in our midst. When Eve reached into that tree and pulled down that apple, she, she missed all of the hope and promise that was nested in the other trees. I'm here to tell you there is enough hope to restore your hearts, to wipe away the attitude of scarcity. There's promise of a new creation that God is asking us to co-create with him. And to be co-creators with God means that we've got to be generous with what he's provided for us. The practice of generosity, because God is a benefactor, we are commissioned to be fruitful and multiply. God invites us to see ourselves as what? Responders of God's grace. And when we carry this perspective, we understand our abundance. And we begin to understand Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now listen, that's by the way, Acts 20. But listen, remember what I asked you at the beginning? Which comes first, giving or receiving? The reason that giving is better than receiving is because when you understand that you've received, you, you, you just start giving. And more, more opportunities for others to receive starts to take place. Until you understand that you have enough that you can give it away, other people don't know that they're in a posture to receive so they then too can become givers. So, here we go. Let's talk about this idea of creating a practice of generosity because the invitation here is that you start to author with God your practice of living your life in such a way that generosity becomes your, your life living as a sign to others of new creation. So here's some ideas that I've jotted down for you to help you start to think about what might be your rule of life for living generously, okay? So the first one is this. Practice generosity by extending mercy and forgiveness. There's something I do every day. It's kind of crazy, but I call it the shalom compass. So we know what shalom is. It's peace, right? And so my shalom compass, so I, I, I literally will stand and I'll go north, south, east, west. Okay, I'll go 
north. Peace with God, shalom with God. God, where, where am I not living in, in peace with you? And we have really honest conversations about how I've been living as though I'm at war with God. And then, Lord, shalom, peace with my neighbor. Okay, shalom, now I turn west. Peace with your creation. Am I stewarding everything well? And then south, this is the hardest one. Peace with me. Peace with me. I say that to you because in that process, there's often times where the Father brings up into my heart areas where I haven't been extending mercy. Where I've been slow to forgive. And to forgive someone when they've wronged you is generous. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And he invites us, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is. Second one that I will throw out to you guys here is practice generosity with your money. <laughs> That's the obvious one, right? <laughs> practice generosity with your money. Think about things like how and where you shop and the impact it can have in giving you more resources in order to be more generous. James 1.17 says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. How about this one? Practice generosity with your words. Give appreciation and speak kindly. I like to say it this way. If you see something, say it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How about this fourth one? Practice generosity with your time. Set aside time to help someone or serve something. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. 
You will be enriched in every way. <laughs> nice promise. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's pretty cool, huh? And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. Come on. How about this one? Number five. Practice generosity with your attention. Man, we, our world has us whipping our heads left and right like crazy. And one of the most generous acts is focus. Creating a rule of life is a generous act when you think about it because it brings focus. Incredible focus. One of the things, ideas that might stir you in your rule of life for generosity might be to commit to a transformational project, follow its progress, and give to it money time, your time, and maybe even your talent. Sometimes we give and then like, ah, oh, there, I did it. But I'm like, follow your money into the work. That's, that's attention. Yeah? 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. What's the coming age? New creation. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Guys, at the end of the day, the only thing that lasts is, the, is what we give towards new creation. Last one I'll just share as a, as a suggestion for your thinking is practice generosity with your influence. One of the things that comes to my mind... Hey friends, Dave here, interrupting the end of Ken's teaching. Sadly, we had some technical issues with the last few minutes of his talk on generosity, so the audio was not salvageable and... We had to cut a little early, but Ken's last point was talking about being generous with your influence, kind of the scope and network of authority that you occupy, both relationally, skills, networking, things like that. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this talk from Ken. He's a dear friend, spiritual parent for the Karamdeo family, and we will have him back in the future. Thank you, guys. Be blessed. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.